Servant leadership isn't just a C-suite fad. It has a tangible effect on every aspect of a company. You'll notice it from the moment you meet someone from a servant leadership organization. One of those companies is TD Industries, proud sponsor of today's episode. Much like our featured guest, Joel Peterson, TD Industries believes in building and maintaining trusting relationships with employees, customers, and other contractors. Learn more at tdindustries.com. This is the Love in Action Podcast, and here's your host, Marcel Schwantes. Welcome, Love in Action Nation in the world. I'm excited about today's episode. Why? Because this whole idea of bringing more love to your leadership into the workplace, which is why we exist as a podcast and why I exist as a speaker and an author and a coach, it's really a means to an end. And that end is a five-letter word, trust. It's trust we're after as leaders because when people trust you, they will give you their best. That's why I wanted to bring today's distinguished guest to the show. That's Joel Peterson the chairman of JetBlue. In 2016, Joel wrote a short book about a big idea, that building a culture of trust is the only way to break down silos and fix this cover your butt mentality that plagues so many organizations today. That book was so well received that he revised it and expanded it in a new edition. I'm talking about the book, The 10 Laws of Trust, Building the Bonds, that make a business great, which was just released on September 17. So Joel is here to tell us how leaders can build a high trust culture and how that kind of culture is going to deliver a powerful competitive advantage. So who is Joel Peterson? Well, besides chairing JetBlue Airways, he's also the chairman of the Hoover Institution at Stanford University. He is the founding partner of Peterson Partners, an investment management firm with $1 billion under management. Joe is on the faculty at the Graduate School of Business at Stanford University, and he also serves as a director of Franklin Covey, a graduate of Harvard Business School where he got his MBA. Joel has worked firsthand with thousands of business and business leaders. And I'm excited. So let's dive in. Here's my conversation with Joel Peterson. And it is my privilege and honor to welcome you, Joel Peterson, to the Love and Action podcast. Great to be with you. Thank you. So I always start this way. What makes you smile when you get up in the morning these days, Joel? Probably the very fact of getting up in the morning. I'm 72 years old and any day above ground is a good day. (laughs) So I want to get into why you originally decided to write the book. So that was written back a few years ago about trust. And why did you decide to also expand it now? So it's interesting. I had all kinds of experiences as anybody who's been in business for almost uh, a half century would have. And I noticed that where there's trust uh, with teams, things go more rapidly. Uh, You innovate more. People are more flexible, uh, more uh, innovative. They have more fun. And life just goes better. And even when you're in a turnaround, when things aren't going well, uh, you better have high trust if you're going to be able to work with suppliers, creditors, investors, customers, or you won't be able to pull off the turnaround. So to me, it just seemed like trust was a topic that hadn't really 
very ventilated very well. Mm. So I tried to factor analyze, you know, what does, how do you build trust? How is it destroyed? What are the characteristics that go beyond just a fuzzy feel good notion that I like you, therefore I trust you. There's a lot more to trust than that. Yeah. Joel, give us a, a true picture, maybe a, a bit of a reality check for our listeners. How big a problem is lack of trust in, say, a typical U.S. company? It's a huge problem. Mm. It's a huge problem in society to start out with. I mean, if you look at the measures of trust in society, they're down in almost every uh, instance. If you look at who people trust, they don't trust politicians. They don't trust the press. They don't trust Wall Street. They don't trust business executives. They don't trust religion, schools. Everything no. is down. The police, you know, you kind of go through the whole list and, and trust is at risk in society. The same is true within organizations, whether it's an entire company or teams of people. Uh, and what happens uh, is that politics takes over. Mm. And so it becomes power. It becomes position, a question of recrimination. People operate by fear and greed rather than duty or love. Yeah, yeah. So we got a lot of listeners that are in management roles, leadership positions. Do you think most people in those roles at your typical U.S. company are even aware as they walk the halls and sit in boardrooms? Are they aware of the scope of the problem with trust or lack of trust, I should say? They feel it. They sense that there's something wrong. They're a little bit wary themselves. They don't know why things take so long, why people uh, don't listen, why people are making their points without capturing others' points. So I think they're vaguely aware of it, but they've never really thoughtfully analyzed the reasons and they don't have the feedback. I mean, you asked, you know, why did we uh, republish this book with an yeah. extended edition? There are really two reasons. One is that uh, HarperCollins bought AMA and it included that title and they thought this is actually a pretty good book. We could, let's republish it. The second right. one was though that uh, people really always ask certain questions. They, and the two questions that they had were, what do I do when I'm betrayed? If I don't trust, I'll never be betrayed. But if I do trust, I will be betrayed. And what do I do about it? And the mm -hmm. second one was, I have no idea what the trust level is in my organization. How, how can I improve it if I don't know a starting point? So we created a diagnostic tool. Yeah. Where you can come in and ask a series of questions and get a score. And the score is just a score. It goes either up or down over time. But you can start managing according to the the 10 laws uh, right. that allow you to build a trust organization. Yeah. So that's in the back of the book. And it's a great little tool as a way to kind of self-assess, self-diagnose. I want to ask you, how hard is it, you know, if, with that as a starting point, even to give us a tool to, okay, uh, let me measure my ability to build trust against those high standards of the, the best leaders and the best companies, right? But how hard is it to change a culture of mistrust that's already there into that culture where people feel they can trust their colleagues, their peers, their bosses. It's really hard. Mm. It happens kind of a conversation at a time and a human being at a time. And I think it starts with yourself. Yeah. Uh, you have to be trustworthy. So, and that usually means that there's some things that you need to reorder in your own uh, way of doing things. You'd have to become a better listener. You have to be more transparent. Uh, so you, you have to really think about what is it that I'm doing that is diminishing trust? 
And it starts with you. But once you do that, then there are things that you can do in an organization. And I'd say the 10 laws really have to do with communicating better, uh, helping people uh, understand the mission more clearly, being more transparent, uh, being humble. Just all the, all the 10 laws really are the ways that you, in a granular way that you, you fix it. But it takes time. It's not easy. Yeah. yeah. Are there any glaring barriers, Joel, that get in the way of trust being built within an organization? I mean, what would you say uh, needs to be removed from the path for trust to happen? Well, I think uh, the, the way we trust is by delivering on promises. Or the way we show that we're trustworthy is by delivering on promises. So really, it's this transaction that we have with all the people so in, in our organization. So what that means is that people have to uh, deliver on time, on budget promises. Right. And if they do that, then we trust them a little bit more. And the w- only way that you can build that up is with transparency, with clarity around what is it that's being measured and with kind of constant feedback. I'm not a big believer in the once a year performance review. Yeah. I, mean, I, think, I think you do that, but I think feedback, daily feedback, just talking about how did that go? Why didn't we get this done on time? Let's understand it. And then taking responsibility, you know, uh, the idea of accepting blame yourself and reflecting credit on others builds trust. So there's a lot of ways to build trust with this open dialogue and transparency and what, what I call listening without an agenda. You know, so many of us listen, waiting for the next thing that we're going to say or to argue or make our point. If you just listen, say, I want to capture what it is you're saying, that actually builds trust. So there's, there are ways, there are techniques, there are ways to kind of increase trust levels. Yeah. So I believe that it's not necessarily that we are putting uh, people that have character flaws in those positions of leadership. I believe that everybody is good and, ha- in, and has good intentions uh, in leadership roles, but they have blind spots. Like you said, take listening, for example. Not everybody has the capacity to... Uh, listen actively, listen authentically, right? With the other person's needs and minds. Yeah. We're yeah. Kind of self-absorbed. Right. We're all at the center of our own universe, the center of our own narrative. And until you remove yourself from that and say, I have a broader purpose, you know, my job is to help you be successful. I'm a fiduciary. Mm. You know, once you have that kind of mindset, you can start to build trust. If you're completely self-absorbed, the odds of building trust are low. Wow. Joe, I want to get into the business case for building trust and and ask you how trust can save a company money. And I will do that after this short message. Stay tuned. Established in 1946, TD Industries provides comprehensive solutions for the full life cycle of your building from engineering and construction to facilities operation and maintenance. Voted a Fortune Best Companies to Work For legend, TD is exactly the kind of company that I would want sponsoring our podcast. TD is a true-to-life servant leadership company that talks and walks love in action. Like Joel Peterson's message in his book, The Ten Laws of Trust, TD has made trusting relationships the foundation of its success. Today... TD operates regionally across the southwestern United States. TD lets you focus on your core business by providing turnkey services centered around facilities and healthcare, data centers, commercial office facilities, entertainment and hospitality, 
multifamily, higher education, as well as semiconductor and food beverage manufacturing facilities. To learn more about TD Industries, visit tdindustries.com or listen to my interview featuring CEO Harold McDowell on episode 19. Okay, let's get into the business case for building trust. So, Joel, how does a high trust culture save a company money or, or even increase profits? Well, uh, for one thing, you're, you don't have so many lawyers. I, I pause there for a second <laughs> because I don't want to dismiss lawyers. I think they really play an important role. But if you've ever been through a thick document, it's full of remedies. It's full of things that say, if trust is broken, here's what we do. Yeah. Well, if, if you have low trust, there's wariness built into every conversation, into every every document, every meeting, everything that you do. That all takes time. And the other thing is once trust levels are low, people are looking for problems. They recriminate. They blame others. They point fingers. All of that stuff takes time and drains people. The other thing is if you're in a turnaround and you're having to fix things in an organization, if you don't have high trust, you'll never get through it because yeah. you need help from suppliers, from investors, from lenders, from customers. And there's a community of trust that says, we're going to get this through this together. Yeah. Uh, so it's a, it's a compelling case in a downturn. And I think when things are going well, it allows you to innovate and be flexible and have more fun. Mm. Are there any other business outcomes that you you would see from a high trust culture, whether it's uh, from a recruitment or retention standpoint or innovation, customer brand, employee loyalty, things like that? All of those. uh, Mm -hmm. I think innovate more easily. Innovation is typically a process of trying something, failing, trying again, adjusting, failing, trying again. And if you don't have high trust, what enters is recrimination. Just look how Congress works today. You know, in a low trust, toxic environment, it's very tough to get anything done. And so if you're going to innovate, you better have high trust, people with high trust working together. Yeah. Um, I think that's, in terms of innovation, that's that's really how trust works. So interesting, because I want to get into some of the laws. And uh, and you said in law to invest in respect. Respect is something that I feel uh, is is lacking in today's business environment. You know, it's all about uh, what's in it for me and uh, what have you done for me lately, right? So can you unpack invest and respect your law number two? What, what's the importance of respect? Well, people don't uh, trust if they don't feel respected. You know, what I always say is uh, if you want to build a great culture, you have to ha- have respected people on a winning team doing something meaningful. So respect, winning, and meaning are the three things that you solve for and if people don't feel respected, it's how they feel. When they yeah. go in and they don't feel respected, they will not trust. They will not be trustworthy. Uh, and I think respect starts with how you treat the lowest level person in the organization. Yeah. Do you have examples of, because I want to make sure that people listening know they may not be aware, again, blind spot mindset, that they're disrespecting. They do it subconsciously. What would be a good example of disrespecting even the lowest employee and not knowing, well, yes, I, I do that, but I didn't know that it was actually affecting people's performance. Well, I think the, the most benign way, uh, the most 
passive way to do that is not to know their names, not mm. to know anything about them, not to say hello to them in the morning, uh, not to have anything personal between. It doesn't take much time, but it makes all the difference in the world. If you've ever been in one of those kind of nameless, faceless jobs, you really notice the people who spend an extra second with right. a smile. I, I've done a lot of those kinds of jobs, and I'll remember the people who take an extra second to make my my day a little brighter. Yeah, yeah. Interesting. Yeah, you said that because I, uh, I had Doug Conant, former uh, CEO of Campbell Soup Company, come on the show, and you know he wrote the book Touchpoint, and he's talking about how we have all of these opportunities throughout the day where we can touch people's lives, r- literally these micro moment where we can nudge someone in the in the right direction, give them a, a bit of encouragement, mentor them in some aspect. And that's all part of getting to know people, yep. and, uh, you know, and being able to build them up. So which builds trust. I love that. Joel, law number eight is show humility. Wow. Let me tell you, because <laughs> once you say that I'm humble, you're probably already lying, right? <laughs> so <laughs> what's, the, what's the impact of humility? On building a culture of trust? Well, we all know that we make mistakes. We all know that we're vulnerable. And if you have a leader who never admits a mistake, who never admits vulnerability, you know not to trust them. You know that they're putting on airs. Uh, and you know that they'll make mistakes. People who are humble will actually be influenced. Facts will impact them. Mm. Feedback will make a difference to them. So there's a kind of an open, openness a transparency, and authenticity in relationships that allow trust to grow. Otherwise, you're kind of shutting the light out and it just will not grow. Yeah, yeah. I want to transition to, you know, when you've already uh, created an environment of distrust and maybe betrayal, and you have this whole chapter in your book and, and even two case studies on betrayal and how to restore trust. What's the first step in that restoration process? And then what needs to happen after that? Well, so there's a couple of kinds of betrayal. One kind is that somebody just fails to get something done or done the right way or on time or on budget, or they just disappoint you. Now, that may be because there was a misunderstanding. It may be because uh, some intervening variable, but it is a form of betrayal. Because if you think about trust builds when people deliver on promises, and it's destroyed when they don't deliver on promises. So people cannot deliver uh, in a certain way that is a form of betrayal. If you let that fester, it will grow. Until finally, one of the entrepreneurs that comes to my class at Stanford, and she basically says, I love you, I love you, I love you, I love you. Now get out of here. <laughs> you know, Because she doesn't address, said, I, I just didn't address the problem right. uh, until it became such that I just couldn't stand it anymore. You're much better off giving feedback along the way and then correcting the betrayal along the way. There are other more serious betrayals where people intentionally do something to harm you. And uh, that's a much tougher case. My experience with those is get out of those situations ASAP, but that isn't enough because you will relive them. You'll go back to them. The thing I mentioned in the book is uh, about Cortez burning the ships at Veracruz so that people couldn't get back on the ship. If you get back on the betrayal, you'll be on that burning ship for the rest Mm. of your life. Mm. Only when you start to live forward, when you start to plan for the future and think about other matters, have you actually moved on. And the key to that, I think, is forgiving 
the other party, which is probably the hardest thing in the world when somebody has intentionally betrayed you. There's something liberating about saying, I forgive you. I understand there must have been something and move on, but get out of business with each other. Get out, you know, having to do stuff with that kind of a person. So let's flip the coin. I know some of us may have been victims of betrayal, whether it was, you know, by a colleague or a boss. And now trust is broken. And, you know, it, it could be festering inside the organization where people are walking on, on eight shelves, not making eye contact and ignoring each other. And resentment is, is just building up and, and turning into other things like anger and, uh, and even workplace violence in some instances. So what is your most important advice for that person, the one who is a victim of betrayal? Well, I'd say if you can't get over it, if you keep living with it and it's, it's weighing on you, get out of the situation. A lot of things just don't heal over time. I always say uh, to my students, if there's a values dispute, get away. Mm. People don't compromise their values. They'll compromise on tactics. They'll compromise on strategy. They'll even compromise on objectives. But when it comes to values, in other words, priorities, what is most important uh, in life? They don't they just don't compromise on those. And typically that kind of a betrayal is one where you just have to be realistic and say, even if it costs me something in the short run, I'm yeah. getting out of that situation. Right. Yeah. Don't compromise your values. Time to move on. Find, you know, you're going to find another organization that's going to reflect who you truly are as a person and be it's much happier for it. Yep. Mm-hmm. Like a fish in the ocean. Yeah. Yeah. Joel, I want to transition to uh, the theme of fear and love which is kind of the, the theme of this podcast. And from a leadership standpoint, how does leading through fear play a role in destroying trust? Well, fear is a powerful motivator. And a lot of people use fear to get people to do things. In the short run, it's quite effective. In the long run, people leave over it. They're less productive. They're less innovative. They're less flexible. Uh, and they're less happy. So fear... Uh, you know, is one of the powerful motivators. Uh, it's short term. Uh, if you scare people into doing things, they will do it as long as they're scared. The minute they're not, they'll walk out the door or they'll get back at you or whatever. So it, it, it has limited viability as a management technique. Uh, if you move up to reward, it's a little bit more powerful. Uh, if you reward people, they, they tend to also behave uh, the way that you'd like them to. On the other hand, if you can get people so that they feel a sense of duty, you know, where there's real meaning in what it is they're doing, they care about it as much as you do, that's a far more durable motivator. And then finally, if it's love, I think love is the most powerful motivating force in the universe. Yeah. We'll do things for love and it's, it's completely durable. It's really powerful. And if you can build an organization that is rooted in love, so your motivators or that you really care a lot about each other. You are truly fiduciaries for each other. Uh, you can, you know, trust the bounds of trust are almost unlimited. Yeah. Yeah. So here we are raising more awareness to basically declare from the top of the mountain that the principles of love and care and belonging and psychological safety and all those things ultimately lead to a culture of trust, right? They do. Right. And so, the question then, and this is the million dollar question then, if I'm sitting at the top of my organization as an executive, how do I reverse that, that culture of fear? Well, I mean, it starts with you. 
Mm. So I think you have to say, how am I contributing? This? Mm. I mean, I think a lot of times people don't understand that their own betrayals, uh, they joint ventured their own betrayals. They're part of the reason that if fear is part of their culture, they have helped joint venture that. So you have to break that cycle yourself. And that usually means to me going in and uh, applying the 10 laws of trust, you know, figuring out what are each of these things? How do we, how are we doing on each of these? Am I communicating adequately? Am I showing respect? Do I have integrity? Is there a gap between what I say and what I do? Am I solving for win-win negotiations? In other words, are all my conversations with you ones where I think they are serial, not episodic? Right. An episode where you or I win versus one where we say we both win together over time because this is part of a series. Yeah. So I think there's a bunch of attitudes, and I think you kind of go through these 10 laws of trust in a granular way and say, where am I falling down? And then- yeah. Conversation by conversation, you can turn it from fear to love. Yeah. You know, it's amazing to me how we have moved into sort of this, this era where the currencies being exchanged are really emotional and, and psychological in nature. When, when we talk about trust, all of the things that lead to trust are soft skills. And Tom Peters is famous for saying, soft is hard and hard is soft. Yeah. Meaning that soft is really not soft anymore because that's the hard stuff. It is hard. And, uh, and, but yeah, that's what people need to know and, and do and learn to do. It's is, also the most powerful stuff. Yeah. I mean, really, if you think about it, people think of trust as this soft, fuzzy, I feel like I like you, therefore I trust you. Well, <laughs> right. it's not. I mean, it, it really is pretty hard-edged, pretty powerful, and it has to be nurtured. It is fragile. That's yeah. one thing. That, so while it's powerful, it's also fragile. Yeah. That's why I love the fact that uh, Stephen M. R. Covey wrote the foreword for your book. I've had conversations with Stephen, too, and he's got great research on trust. And now trust is really, it's action-based. It's not emotional. It's not feelings-based. It's a choice. Yeah. And you extend choice to people. Uh, you, you extend trust to people as a choice first before they, you, they have to earn it, right? And uh, so I, I love where this is going. Joel, I want to transition to some personal questions. You know, um, we know in leadership theory that great leaders surround themselves with mentors. Who are your mentors? So it's interesting. Uh, Trammell Crow, who I started to work with, is clearly a mentor in my life. He was the first guy I'd ever really worked with that way. He sat right across from my desk and uh -huh. I could see him all day long and he could see, we could overhear each other's conversations. And uh, so he had a big impact. I mean, I'll tell you one quick story. Yeah. Working on a deal one time that fell apart after two months. And uh, he could tell I was depressed. I had my head in my hands. I was sitting at my desk, just frustrated. And he walked over and sat down and said, what? what's wrong, Joel? I said, this deal blew apart. And I've worked so hard and so long on it. And it shouldn't have everything. And he got up and he said, there's a trolley every five minutes and walked back to his desk. <laughs> <laughs> that's always stuck with me is okay, don't get don't get lost in the moment have a bigger picture there will be another deal but you can't always have a flesh and blood mentor so i think you can always choose mentors from history you know i read a lot of presidential biographies i'm reading one about winston churchill now mm. churchill is a mentor of mine there were a lot of things that he was extraordinarily flawed but he saved the world in the 20th century. That's right. He saw us through some pretty hard times. 
And so I actually have a picture of Churchill on my office wall and, and think about him in the depths of World War II. So That's great. I don't have it tough. Yeah. <laughs> Joel, what is your biggest failure and what was the lesson that you learned? So there've been, there've been several. I mean, there are small ones along the way. I, I, I'm just thinking of one. I remember trying to um, install an information system uh, at Trammell Crow Company. And we spent about 18 months and $10 million on it. And it just wasn't coming together. I, we just couldn't make the thing work. And I, uh, I finally just pulled the plug on it and said, let's walk away from the $10 million. It's not going to happen. And I had to shut it down, let the people go and everything. And I remember my boss at the time saying, uh, I, I was ready to quit over it. I was saying, you know, I've failed. I'm ready to move on. And I remember his advice was declare victory and move on, which was great advice. Because <laughs> uh, I'd done everything I could, and uh, but so that was a failure. I think uh, I've had uh, a number of failures in dealing with um, partners where there were misunderstandings, and I don't think I really sat down and listened and understood. I went directly to the kind of competitive level and got in a fight with them. And I think those were all th those are all failures. Mm, thanks for sharing that, Joel. I want to bring it home, Joe, and. Uh and ask you two final questions. Personally, what's really tugging at your heart right now that you'd like our listeners to know? Well, since we're talking about trust and thinking about trust, and there's a crisis of trust mm -hmm. uh, in America, in families, in society, in politics, and everything, I would say the message I've got is you can rebuild trust. There are ways to go about becoming a more trustworthy person, building a higher trust organization, overcoming betrayal, fixing things, and getting us on a level where we're listening to each other and solving problems together. So that that is a very positive message. High trust people and high trust organizations prevail over time. Low trust organizations eat each other up. So if we, if we stay on this course, we'll be in for a miserable future. Mm. And Joel, finally, you get to end it your way. What's that one thing you'd like listeners to absolutely walk away from? that's going to make a difference in their lives. You own your own operating system and you can change it. You can rewrite, you can overwrite your operating system. You can decide who you want to be and you can uh, develop those traits. I, I did it myself uh, with a series of mantras where I didn't like what I saw in me. And I just reminded myself of the same thing several times every day until it became natural to me. And I think that's a hopeful, positive thing. Very good. I appreciate that. And I appreciate your time getting together with me, hanging out for a little bit. So Joel, if people want to connect with you, how can they learn more about you and uh, maybe, uh, you know, receive email updates, things of that nature? Where do they go? I think there's a, so I'm not exactly sure, but I think there's a site called uh, the 10 laws of trust.com where there are articles and things that relate to this whole topic. Uh, and then I think I have one I should have researched this before I got on with you, but I think joelcpeterson.com or something is another one where articles that I've written for LinkedIn or CNN or Forbes or Fortune or whatever, uh, I think appear there too. There you have it. Well, it's been an honor and a privilege and I appreciate you uh, talking to me. Thank you so much. My pleasure. Thanks much. TD Industries is a proud sponsor of today's episode. To see how Love in Action works at TD Industries, go to tdindustries.com and subscribe to their TD Talks blog 
at tdindustries.com forward slash news. So here's what's on my mind as I process that conversation I had with Joel. You know, trust is a long-term process, and that's where the problem lies. We live in an instant gratification business world where we drive for short-term results. And the problem with that is it's, it's also short-term thinking, and that's not sustainable. It's not sustainable because you take the human element out of the equation. All of us expect relationships to be founded on trust. And when it's not, we get suspicious. We create silos. We point fingers and we hunker down. This is not good for business. It affects our performance and productivity. Love, on the other hand, is what will build trust, hands down. And you can find some of the ways to love well in Joel's book. Some of his laws are founded on love. So I'm going to leave you with this quote from Joel. He said, love is the most powerful motivating force in the universe. People will do things for love and it's completely durable. It's really powerful. And if you can build an organization that is rooted in love so that your motivators are caring for other people, the bounds of trust are almost unlimited. Thanks for joining us today. Tune in next time when I chat with Steve Farber, author of the brand new book, Love is Just Damn Good Business. And don't forget, love in action. It's what will truly set your leadership apart. Try it. Hey, Love in Action Nation. If you're enjoying the format of the show and the topics we talk about, and you want to bring this conversation to your company event or conference, I would love to explore the possibilities. Whether it's speaking or moderating a live discussion or a Q&A panel, or even producing a series of podcasts before and after your event, let's talk. You can reach me by email personally at marcel at loveinaction.club. That's Marcel, M-A-R-C-E-L, at loveinaction.club.